At Holy Wisdom Monastery, our mission is shaped by values drawn from the rule of Benedict, prayer, hospitality, justice, and care for the earth. Presented by the Benedictine Women of Madison, this is the Holy Wisdom Podcast, bringing our hospitality to you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Holy Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Brooke, and today I am here with Denise West. She is a sister here at the monastery. This is her first time being on the podcast, and I'm really excited to be able to introduce her. But I'm actually going to ask her to introduce herself so that she has to talk. (laughs) Hi, um, I'm Sister Denise. Um, I've been here for about five and a half years. Um, made profession three years ago. And uh, let's see, I, before I came here, I was living in New York City. And um, I never planned to be a sister in my, even when I first came here, I did not have a plan to be a sister. So it's kind of been a interesting journey to find myself here at this point. And it has been interesting talking to you about your journey before we've We've talked a little bit here and there. Um, I find it especially interesting because, like me, you came from a non-secular home, grew up um, kind of non in a non-religious home, became a teacher, was living life, and then you said that you kind of felt felt a need for a spiritual connection mm-hmm. at, at a certain point. And I was wondering if you could share the story of how you realized that you were missing that connection, and then how that ended up to connecting with the monastery um, from all the way in New York to Madison. Mm -hmm. Yes, like you said, I I grew up in a secular home in Memphis, Tennessee. That's my hometown. My parents were, um, they both grew up in a pretty conservative environment. They were Southern Baptist and they both grew up in the church. They actually, their churches paid for college and they planned on being missionaries. As it turned out, they, they just didn't go that way. They did not become missionaries. And over time, my dad became a doctor and my mom was a nurse because I wanted to have skills to help people. But over time, basically, uh, my, my dad just lost, his, lost all religion. I think he sort of was a, a person who, like many people, I think, today, they grow up in the church, but then their beliefs they don't go through a period of becoming more mature spiritual beliefs, I guess. So they sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. My mom was a Christian her entire life, although she didn't identify as Southern Baptist. She went to Methodist churches and I don't think she really was attached to a particular denomination. But uh, anyway, I grew up with my dad. So uh, the house was very secular. I mean, we didn't even go to uh, go to church at Easter or Christmas or anything. So, but we were in a very um, sort of religious culture in the Bible Belt. I grew up with a lot of kind of bias against Christianity because I saw a lot of hypocrisy and I saw a kind of provincialism and even racism. They, that culture and the church culture were all sort of just blended together to me. Um, I did have a good friend, Cheryl, who was Christian and just a wonderful person. She 
always was open to having conversations because I actually always was interested in religion in an intellectual way. And I wished that I could believe in God, but there was just something, I don't know if it was just the way I was raised or I don't know, but I, I, I sort of couldn't believe in God and I didn't believe in God. And I uh, really felt atheist for a while. And yet I always had a curiosity. I studied religion in college and uh, just did some reading, but it, it wasn't anything in my heart. It was all in my head. So let's see, fast forward to my thirties. I was married and married and also in a, you know, secular, he wasn't a churchgoer or anything. And, uh, you know, at some point, well, I was a teacher, like you said, I was teaching um, preschool to fourth grade, the early childhood and elementary education. And somewhere in there, I started just feeling a longing for something more, like something more genuine, something that connected me with a faith community. And I started really feeling like I wanted to have more depth on some level, some more meaning in my life. I started going basically, well, I started actually going to Buddhist meditation groups and that, that helped me um, develop a sense, an idea that I wanted to practice meditation. There was something about meditation that grabbed me, even though it was very difficult for me. <laughs> it's hard to sit still, um, but it sort of called to me. Then uh, I didn't quite feel at home with other, with Buddhists. So I started going to a Unitarian church, which had a little more sense of community, but it didn't really have a sense of God. So I did that about a year and then I moved on and I went to an Episcopal church and a Presbyterian church and I really hopped around. I finally found um, an interdenominal, interdenominational church in New York, the Riverside Church. I, I just loved it. I fell in love with the, the people there. Um, there was a small kind of a retreat group um, that met regularly and went on retreats twice a year, and there was um, a Bible study group that was open to anyone, and with Bring Your Questions, we read the Bible, which I'd never done before, and just had discussion. We studied the history of the text. That was a class, really, for the mind and the heart. I was really struck by what I read. I mean, I remember a particular moment where we were reading 1 Corinthians, and the passage, the well-known passage about love, love is patient, love is kind, and so forth. And I remember thinking, wow, look what's in here. This is, there's so much love in this book. That's not how I thought about the Bible growing up. The Bible was more like, was, the word that comes to mind is weapon. That's probably a little too harsh, but the Bible was a tool for proving a point in a sense. That's, that was my impression growing up. But when I actually read it and just allowed the text to speak to me and speak to my heart, I found a lot of wisdom and a, a lot of psychological truths. And I remember also reading a line, I think it was from the Dalai Lama, who talked about, he said something like that he, even in his own life, when he reads sacred texts, he uses what makes sense to him. And if something doesn't make sense, he just doesn't worry about it. 
And I thought, oh, okay, well, I can do that. So things that spoke to me, I really took them to heart. And things that didn't make sense or that I didn't like or I thought weren't true, I just didn't worry about it. <laughs> and, and that method has really uh, stuck with me. And I just know there's certain, certain things that are going to ring true at certain times and certain things that don't make sense. Just finding that church and that community helped me really grow in my faith, especially the, the retreats. I went on retreat twice a year. We had about 20 people in our group. They were just wonderful communities of love and support, and they were fun. It was something I was longing for. So I, I think community and a sense of greater meaning are what really drew me to church in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's interesting hearing you talk about how, as you got older, started feeling this, you know, lack of connection and started getting more curious um, from a faithful standpoint, not just an intellectual one. And I think I've noticed that in my myself as well. I'm 25. I'm still pretty young. But as I get older, um, and I've seen this with younger people as well, of um, younger people not necessarily being able to have the ability to have a grander scope of the world, not in a bad way, but just in they don't have as many experiences. So they're not able to have the bigger connections of the world and being able to feel that bigness of the world. And as you get older, I think you're able to kind of conceptualize that more and more. And I think that's why people start being more interested personally in religion later in life. Because when you're younger, you're just in the moment and you're stuck with the scope of the time that, um, that you've lived so far. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that as a, as a bad thing towards younger people, towards um, teenagers and whatnot. I think it's really interesting and really cool. They get a different perspective because of that. So um, getting a little bit older, starting to feel that there's a bit missing from that big overarching experience of life. And somehow from New York, you ended up all the way over in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, I was going to church all that time, I guess about 10 years after 10 years, and I was developing um, a a prayer practice, well, not a prayer practice, meditation practice of centering prayer. There was a, a minister at my church who started a group. He had been doing centering prayer for 20 years. I was really glad to find that because I had been looking for a meditation practice in the Christian tradition. Uh, at least at the time, there just weren't many Christian meditation groups, and I'd been searching for people to, to sit with. So that was going on at my at church for a few years, and I really was just becoming aware. I mean, as a Protestant, I had, and as growing up secular, I'd been completely oblivious to uh, the contemplative tradition in Christianity. And I remember I would be reading online. I, I found Thomas Keating online, and he was talking about asceticism and different practices monastic practices, I suppose, and Christian practices. And I thought, well, how come I've never heard of these things? And I was very curious and very drawn to them. So um, I guess it was about 2015, I was looking for a place to go over the summer. Um, I'd been on a few centering prayer retreats, and I was also thinking I might want to do something different in my career. I wasn't sure I wanted to stay a teacher. I was feeling a little dissatisfied 
even though I love teaching, but I wasn't thrilled with the direction teaching was going, being very kind of data driven and trust me the rest of us that were in the system weren't thrilled with it either <laughs> i know and i was and i and when i went to graduate school i was trained to be like a teacher of the whole child you know into an interdisciplinary curriculum and that was present to a certain extent but and partly it was just feeling like it wasn't a good fit anymore so i was i was really just open to maybe a career transition or or maybe moving somewhere else or maybe I just needed a different school. I wasn't sure. So I was looking for a place to go in the summer, uh, like a monastery, somewhere to go for like a month. I thought maybe a month long silent retreat or something. I think I was searching for something, you know, just to, to get me out of my, I felt like I was in a rut a little bit. So I was Googling <laughs> and I found a newsletter that described a program the monastery had at the time where women could come and live for six months and then learn spiritual practices and live with the sisters and come to prayer and work in the garden and then go back home. So it was a six month immersive experience. And it was in the newsletter. I went of course over to the website and just looking at the website of Holy Wisdom, I thought, wow, that looks like a place that is really alive with creativity and the outdoors connected to nature. It was just like, wow, that looks terrific. So I felt very inspired. And really at the moment I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, there was, it just was one of those things that just hit me like, yes, I'm going to go there. But of course there was an application process. So I called the monastery and spoke to someone and um, they were actually having a weekend retreat in a couple of weeks at the time. So I just booked my ticket and came out here and spent a weekend and I just kept coming back. So the weekend was good. There's sort of a mutual discernment process for spending longer periods of time at the monastery. You know, you can't just walk in and spend six months because you're living with people living with sisters in our home. So I came for a weekend, then a couple of months later when school was out, I came back for two weeks and lived with the sisters. And then they accepted me into the program and I came back in September, 2015. So thanks to the internet, that's how I found the monastery. And I had a wonderful six months here. I came in September and left about, I think April 1st is when I left. I actually uh, was baptized here because even though I'd been going to church for 10 years, I, I guess you could say I'm one of those people that has a little bit of fear of commitment. <laughs> so even though I, I'd been going to church for 10 years, I hadn't been baptized. So when I was here, actually my mom died in January when I was a sojourner and she was older. I mean, it wasn't really a surprise. But it was a very moving time. I felt so supported by the sisters at that time. Anyway, it, uh, as I came close to finishing my six months, I had, I had always imagined I'd go back to New York and be baptized there because that's where really I became a Christian. But something <laughs> felt so significant here. So I actually was baptized here at the Easter Vigil in 2016. And that was an amazing day. I felt so surrounded by love and so welcomed. I really, that was a sacred moment in my life. 
but I had no intention of being a sister, even at that time. I thought, I'm going to go home. I want to fall. Well, I, I forgot to mention that I did get a divorce in there, obviously. <laughs> I'm not a married sister. So I, I wanted to go back home and fall in love and get married and maybe have a different career. I didn't know. I hadn't done much discernment about my career. I was really just immersed in the, in the life here. I did go back to New York. It was about, I don't know, a month and a half or two months. And I wasn't feeling called to something else. I really, I didn't have any clarity about what's next. And over time I started, I just was missing the monastery. And I was thinking, really all I want to do is go back there. I didn't have any energy around a new career or I just didn't. So, yeah. So I worked with my spiritual director and actually met, I just had a conversation with a man that I met on the, you know, how you run into people. <laughs> and I just met this guy there. And I remember talking with him and uh, we exchanged phone numbers and I just had this epiphany like, Oh, actually this doesn't interest me. <laughs> I'm really not interested in going out with this person. Or, and it was just a moment of um, like, wow, I, I don't think this is what I want, which was shocking and terrifying, to be frank. But it kind of opened the door. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just talk to them about going back. So I did. had conversation with Sister Lynn. And I said, well, could I come back to the monastery? <laughs> and... Uh, we had some conversation and she said, yes. So I ended up coming back and I mean, it's been interesting. I never really didn't have a plan to stay, but I came here and I never, I didn't want to leave. And gradually it became not from not wanting to leave. It became desiring to stay and really putting down roots. So there's always been, it's just like, something caught me here. <laughs> something called me and something caught me and it stayed with me. Yeah, it's kind of curious, but I've really put down roots here. I mean, it, it really feels like home. I'm, I'm rather envious that you're able to, <laughs> that you were able to have that experience just because I'm, I personally am a believer in fate, not that all of us are meant to do something specific, but that sometimes we might come across something that's, if we take the right path towards it, it'll lead us to a life that's for us, that's really good for us. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of makes me think that that kind of sounds like what happened with you, where it just kind of all fell into place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a wonderful thing to be able to experience, to be able to find. With that, I kind of wonder, because I kind of want to think about coming back to, to now, to present day, because now you've been at the monastery for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, you feel really at home here. I mm -hmm. kind of wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what makes it feel so welcoming to you and maybe your favorite part about being a sister here. Hmm. It's hard to narrow down. <laughs> right. Let me tell you, here, tell me the best thing about your life right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, the word you use, welcome. I mean, the Benedictine charism is hospitality. That's one of our, that's a piece of our charism, prayer and hospitality. There is, I remember just when I first came here, feeling this big love. I still feel that. I still feel an immense welcome here, an immense 
a sense of belonging and connectedness that answers a longing that I've had, I think, probably most of my life. I don't know if I've always been conscious of it or would call it that, but there's a way that I, I feel centered in my life here that comes from different aspects of life here. It comes from the community, people I live with. It comes from the oblates and volunteers and guests who come here, those relationships. It comes from prayer, the liturgy of the hours. We pray three times a day, and that draws me to consciousness of God. I mean, really, the awareness of God is what's really grown in my heart, and that's how my faith has grown. From a sense, a dim sense of God out there, and when I first came, I really wanted to to discover what I meant by God. What does that mean? Because I, I didn't believe in God like Zeus in the sky, <laughs> which is sort of how the con concept of God that I was raised with, I think that's what I rejected. So what did I mean by God? And so I've grown in an awareness of the presence of the divine that some people call God and other people have other names, but a real sense of reality and of love as a driving force of the universe. And I feel, I don't always feel connected with that, but I do trust in its presence, even when I don't feel connected. And I think having that kind of trust is one of the best things about being here. Because when I'm not here, I mean, I know that God exists no matter where I am, but I'm a very undisciplined person and I know that if I weren't living a monastic life, I would not be praying three times a day and I would be derailed from a kind of life I want to live just by my own desires, my own human weakness. That's one reason why I've stayed is because the practices here keep me connected and keep me growing and keep me looking inward, keep me on the path of self-knowledge and keep me living a life of faith. Because truly, I'm, I'm a very weak, <laughs> I'm very weak-willed. <laughs> I have to be constantly inspired. <laughs> oh, it's understandable. <laughs> but I think everyone yeah. is very happy to have you here and to get to know you here at the monastery. <laughs> With that, I think that is such a beautiful note to end on just that relationship that you've been able to build here. And with that, I um, thank you lovely listeners for tuning into this episode. And Denise, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun talking to you, Brooke. And thanks. Yeah, this was a joy. Yeah. All right. Now, everyone, remember to tune in for the next episode. We'll be premiering next month on the first Wednesday. And with that, I will talk to you all later. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holy Wisdom Podcast. To learn more about us, get updates about new episodes, or to send a message, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram under the name Holy Wisdom Monastery, or visit our website, benedictinewomen.org.